Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. Thank you so much for joining us, whether it's at BaseballAmerica.com or downloading us on iTunes. I want to remind you that the Baseball America Digital Edition is now available. Digital Edition brings you the magazine on the go. You don't have to wait by the mailbox for the latest issue to arrive anymore. Every two weeks, you're notified by email that a new digital edition is available to download. Visit BaseballAmerica.com slash subscribe and get the digital edition for as low as $1.76 per issue. And Aaron, I would encourage people to subscribe now because it's draft season. It's baseball season and it's draft season. And the college baseball season is winding down. And uh, week 13 in the books, Aaron, um, it's just amazing to kind of look down our, our top 25 tracker and see 13 series next to some of these clubs. And uh, not a lot of movement at the very, very top of the poll, Aaron, but we're going to dive right into the top 25 rankings and the SEC. And I think, is this a fair statement, Aaron? Vanderbilt appears to be the best combination of depth, pitching, uh, hitting, uh, decent fielding. Maybe they're the, but, but they have so many positive elements. They've had the, probably the best overall season. They have the best overall record, and yet they've lost head-to-head series to both South Carolina and Florida, and uh, right now dropped the seventh in our rankings. Is that a fair statement that Vanderbilt looks on paper like the best team, but head-to-head? has lost to the other two teams that have uh, similar talent and similar grit, and maybe Vanderbilt does a little shy in the grit department. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I think I said last week that I, I was buying in on Vanderbilt. I was trying to elbow my way into the Vanderbilt uh, <laughs> bandwagon there that you, you had started driving back in the preseason. Um, but, uh, you know, Florida's just as good. I, I mean, I really think that. I, I think – to me, those two teams stand out, and I, and I think talent-wise, I still believe those teams are a tick ahead of South Carolina, which you know certainly makes up for it with, with grit. Um, but uh, eh, I mean, I don't know. I just think there's a dime's worth of difference between the, all those teams, especially Florida and, and, and Vanderbilt. I mean, in the talent department, um, and and I I don't know necessarily that Florida has more grit than Vanderbilt. I just think it was, uh, you know, I, I talked to Sully last night, and the way he put it was it was two really, really good teams that are, you know, evenly matched, and it came down to a pitch here or there. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, that's baseball, as they say. I mean, it's a 13, I mean, it's a 12-inning game, and, and you know, you, you beat their their closer on a 3-2 fastball, I believe, and there you go. That's it. Does uh, does Navery Moore, any chance that Navery Moore loses his closer job at Vanderbilt after this week? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, he, he took both losses in that series he did he did but i mean i don't think there's any chance i mean the guy hadn't given up an extra base hit all year until this weekend uh, he's just <laughs> <Wow>. been dominant <laughs> wow yeah that's that's the amazing thing is until until the first game uh where where adams uh, josh adams had a leadoff home run i believe in the ninth uh that, that was the first extra base hit he'd given up all year so and then they got him twice more they got him for the you know the walk-off double or not the walk-off the game-winning double later that inning and then and they got him, of course, with Zanino's three-run homer um, in the 12th inning on, on Sunday. But, uh, no, he's really good. I, it does sound like Jack Armstrong pitched very well this weekend. I heard a good report on him. And, um, you know, Vanderbilt's they're going to be fine. And, and you know, it seems harsh to drop them down to number seven, considering if they win that game in, in 12 innings, then, you know, they're, they're maybe moving up to number two or staying at three. But uh, – that's the way it is. I mean, the fact of the matter is they lost the head-to-head series to South Carolina and Florida. So how can they be ahead of those teams? And Florida State is uh, has a very comparable record to all these teams, I feel like, and they have the three-to-one edge over Florida. Uh, so we moved them up a couple of spots. And 
it's uh, it, it's very jumbled in that SEC. I mean, it's amazing heading the last. Last weekend, we've got three teams tied for first place at 20 and 7, and then you've got four teams in the SEC West tied at 13 and 14. Uh, what a mess. That is a mess. The SEC West is frankly a mess, and I'm not sure which team I think deserves <laughs> from the SEC West deserves to be a number two seed in a, you know, I don't think any of them deserve to host. It looks like Arkansas has a good shot at hosting, Aaron. Is there another team in the SEC West that has a shot of hosting a regional, you think? Not a really good shot. I I think Arkansas is the team, and it's amazing. We're talking about Arkansas as a, as a pretty likely host in my mind. Uh, their RPI is, I think, around number 12. Um, we're looking at them as a host, and, and they've lost six weekend series. I mean, they're seven and six in weekend series. That's uh, not terribly impressive. So, you know, I mean, it's... It's it. There's no team in that league that is, or in that division rather, that that is clearly the best team. There's there's no class, clear class of, of the, the the division. And you look at the schedule, and you have to think it kind of favors Auburn. Uh, I think they've got what Tennessee coming up this weekend, and, and Tennessee is uh, really gone in the tank. Uh, um, so you know, I mean, even I, th- I think that series is on the road, but still, I feel like Auburn uh, has the easiest path here. Uh, if you had to pick a team that's the best team. Out of the SEC West, gut feel, who do you think is the best team in the SEC West? Is it Arkansas? Is it Auburn? Auburn has the highest RPI, I think, other than uh, other than Arkansas in that division. Is it somebody else? Uh, I think we know that you and I both think you know, Alabama is a very gritty team. Um, Mississippi State's a young, athletic team that has some upside. Ole Miss is an older, physical club that maybe doesn't just quite have the talent. LSU's a very, you know, very young club on the mound. Uh, if you had to pick one team, best team in the SEC West, it, we have Arkansas in the rankings. Is it Arkansas? Is it the Razorbacks? Yeah, it is for, for me. I mean, I, I really like their lineup. Um, I think they've got a nice combination of some power and some speed, uh, some good, you know, line, good line drive guys, uh, you know, some exciting young players and some veterans. I think they play good defense. I think they're solid on the mound. Not great, but solid. I mean, starting, of course, with DJ Baxendale, who uh, uh, has put himself, I think, squarely in the in the conversation for SEC Pitcher of the Year after he beat Michael Roth this weekend. He's also got wins against uh, Hudson Randall and, and I believe Sonny Gray, although it was in relief. Uh, um, so, you know, if you're looking at the SEC Pitcher of the Year, it might be DJ Baxendale. Uh, um, but behind him, I mean, they're pretty solid. Um, they, they've they've had a, a decent season. I mean, they've shown their upside. They won a series from Florida, and uh, you know, certainly the LSU series has lost some of its luster. But uh, anytime you beat LSU and, and you're Arkansas, it's a huge weekend. I mean, they, they, I think I think that's the team for me. They seem like the most complete team in that division. And yeah, really, none of those teams really has a big. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't feel like any of those teams really has a big statement series away from home. And that's Arkansas. The biggest mm. critique of Arkansas is they haven't really done it away from home. And none of those teams have, in my mind, an RPI or a case to be a, a, a super regional host, uh, top eight national seed, that kind of thing. You see any of those teams? Is Arkansas an Omaha team? Could any of these teams get their mm. – I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, Aaron, but you see any of those clubs as potential Omaha clubs? Um. I mean, it would be an upset, I think. I, I, I don't, you know, 
I'm certainly not going to write any of them off because we've seen time and time again teams get hot at, at the right time. And, you know, I mean, a couple of years ago when Mississippi State made their last run to Omaha, I didn't think they were an Omaha team. And, and there they were at the end. But that was, you know, that was an older team. And I don't I just don't know that there's a team in that in that division that really strikes me as that kind of team. I mean, they all have flaws, you know, and, and uh, um, that said, you know, Arkansas, I think, is capable. I mean, especially if they're at home for a regional. Um, you know, and you've got Baxendale going in the game one of a super regional, then you're just one win away, but you know, hypothetically. Um, right. So I don't know. I mean, who knows? But I mean, I, I, I don't really see it. I've been saying all year long, I kind of think the, the three teams in the East are the elite teams, the Omaha teams, and the SEC, and everybody else is just okay. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. Everyone else is just okay. And I also think, Aaron, now that we're getting down to the final weekend of the series, uh, of the season, you're starting to see some SEC teams that are close to being on the wrong side of the NCAA tournament bubble. One of those is Ole Miss, uh, which is down to 39 in the RPI. And Ole Miss, uh, who do they play this weekend? I already uh, forgot who they play this weekend. I believe they're on the road. Yeah, they're at Arkansas. Right. Uh, Ole Miss at 39 in the RPI, the last I checked anyway, the the uh, Boyd's World one that I checked. And Georgia at 500 overall and uh, with a Vanderbilt series – is the SEC in danger of being a six or seven bid league instead of an eight or nine bid league? How, how, uh, or, you know, even Auburn's only four games over 500. Uh, who's on the bubble in the SEC and what is the prognosis for some of those bubble clubs? Well, I still think Georgia and Auburn are going to get in if they finish above 500. And, and I really like Auburn's chances to finish above 500. Uh, Georgia, is dicey because they've got Vanderbilt coming up this weekend. And, you know, fortunately it's at home, but, you know, they, they've got Kennesaw State first. So if they can win that game, they'll be one game over 500. Uh, and then they would need to go, I guess, two and one against Vanderbilt to remain above 500. Um, and then they'd still have to win a game in Hoover, I believe. Uh, so, I mean, you know, it's it's a tall order, I think, at this point. Not not, not a real tall order, but it's, it's not going to be um, – Real easy for Georgia, you know they've 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 got to <laughs> they've got to play their way in. So uh, you know if Georgia doesn't finish above 500, then I think you're looking at probably eight teams. I think Ole Miss will get in for sure if Georgia doesn't. Um, I, I kind of like Ole Miss anyway, even if they don't make it to Hoover. Uh, and, and you know they could still make it to Hoover. I mean they're only a game back of first place for God's sakes. But uh, I mean that, that's the amazing thing is you know they're a game away from being the number one seed in that or a number two seed in the tournament. Or they, or they could miss the tournament. I mean, it's just it's that close. But um, so I, the I fact think, that they beat South Carolina last think, weekend to me is huge for Ole Miss. See, but, but their RPI is at 39. That's pretty low for an SEC team. Um, yeah. Between them and Louisiana State, I mean, Louisiana State with an inexplicable uh, RPI that's higher than that, where they uh, they're like in the th- you know 20 in the in the 20s range, mm-hmm. 24. Um, you know, it's like basically sweeping Cal State Fullerton means. You don't have to do anything else the rest of the year. Apparently, that's what that means. I mean, uh, uh, I, I don't understand how, you know, finishing in tenth place in your conference should be rewarded, and I don't believe that it should. We'll see if LSU takes a decent hit today. Uh, today, this week, they play uh, New Orleans, which is uh, also known as the RPI killer, uh, since their program kind of got gutted. But like, if they lose two out of three to Mississippi State, I mean, because you didn't even bring up LSU as a bubble team. Uh, if they go 12 and 18 in the conference and their RPI is in the low 20s, uh, and they aren't going to Hoover to improve on that, you know, if they lose that series, they're not going to Hoover. 
uh, doesn't it kind of depend on what happens in the rest of the country? They're certainly not secure, right. uh, despite the fact that the committee, you've made the point repeatedly, that the committee doesn't seem to care what you do in your conference. But 12 and 18, is that's basically a two, two and a half months of bad. I agree. And, and, you know, there's been some history of some 12 and 17 teams. I don't think there's been a 12 and 18 team in the SEC that's gotten in. There have been, you know, teams in the Big 12 that were, were 9 and 17, which is just as bad. But um, I, I think if LSU wins that last series, they finish 13 and 17 and they have a strong RPI, then they got a shot, you know, especially if Georgia finishes 500. Or you know, which I think could happen now. It's starting to look more more likely that it will happen. Then LSU would be the ninth team um, if you if you still like Ole Miss, and I, and I do still like, like Ole Miss. I mean, again, I think winning that series against South Carolina last weekend was pretty big for them. I think that puts them back in, um, even though the RPI is just okay for an SEC team. And that's funny because earlier in the year, Ole Miss had kind of a inexplicably high RPI after the the non conference schedule. I'm surprised that it's dropped so much, but. Yeah, it keeps um, dropping. Uh, playing Mississippi State this weekend and losing that series, it keeps dropping. And then they, lo- they lost. They are the best series win in the SEC for LSU. So for me, if the conference, if the committee were so inclined and wanted to mm-hmm. reward teams that, in the games that matter most to coaches, did well, you know, the conference games, and that in the last two months of the season played well, you would not be rewarding LSU and Ole Miss. If, right. if if I were on the committee, at this point, I would be looking, okay, what did LSU and Ole Miss do to get in? LSU has 11 league wins at this point. Eight of them are against Ole Miss, Kentucky, and Tennessee, which are the bottom three teams in RPI in the Southeastern Conference. And two of those teams right. are just, two of those teams are just bad teams. Um, so that's six of their 11 wins. What has LSU done to earn? a postseason bid? What has Ole Miss done to earn a postseason bid? Obviously, you can't just – they've done a lot less, in my mind, than the other SEC teams, a, a, a decent amount less than those other teams. But, uh, you know, I like agree. Miss, Mississippi State's whole case seems to be going 2-1 and one every week or 1-2, and two, you know. So, um, And I know Ole Miss is only one game behind the rest of those SEC West teams. But uh, for me, the SEC is not – I don't think there's any chance the SEC is going to get 10 bids. And we wrote earlier in the year that there was a chance. I don't think there's a chance they're going to get 10 bids. Because I think that 10th team, there are enough things that you can write against them, or case, enough cases you can make against them. I guess the other part of that is none of this happens in a vacuum, Aaron, and the rest of the country has to right. ha- has to produce teams that are that also have a strong case. Let's go to the bottom of our rankings, Aaron, because we, we brought in, uh, was it one new team this week? That's I, right, I Florida, think it was one Florida International. That's right, so, at number 24. So let's talk about – let's go to the other end of the rankings and talk a little bit about that because we have the Sun Belt Conference. We talked in the meeting today about the Sun Belt Conference and the Atlantic Sun. We were going to debate Sun Conferences this week uh, with the Atlantic Sun and the Sun Belt. Uh, Atlantic Sun uh, regular season uh, leader Stetson uh, has a, a rough week. They lost three games out of their five they played this week. One of their losses was to Florida State at home. They got crushed midweek by Florida State. They lose an in extra innings to Florida International, which we jumped the Golden Panthers into the rankings. Uh, Florida International has a 16-game unbeaten streak. Uh, their last game was a tie against Arkansas State. Uh, first off, I'm jumping a little bit. I'm jumping around a little bit on you, Stetson. Uh, did this? Did they take a hit in terms of hosting a regional this week by losing two out of three out of their five games, or do you think they still have a shot to host a regional this uh, this uh, in the postseason? I think they probably took a little bit of a hit. 
uh, losing to Florida State and FIU, but I still think they're they're in good shape to host because uh, they're still in the top twenty in the RPI. They've got thirty nine wins. Uh, they've got solid. You know, I think they're eight and five against the top fifty and uh, fifteen and eight against the top one hundred. It's pretty good, you know, for mid major team. Um, and the committee likes mid majors to host when they've earned it. You know, and and Stetson's put together a nice resume, and they've they've already clinched the A Sun regular season title. Um, I, I I still think I really like their chances to host rather than, for instance, Miami as a fifth team or so in the ACC in that same geographic footprint. Basically, uh, I think Stetson's got a much better chance there. I agree with you on that. Um, any chance that Florida International is working its way into hosting? If Florida International were to win the uh, Sun Belt, they're a half game back of Troy. They lost the head-to-head to Troy, but it also seems like FIU. Uh, against one of these hotter teams in the country with this 16-game unbeaten string. First, talk a little bit about what FIU has done to get uh, hot like this toward the end of the season, and what are the chances of any of these Sun Belt teams uh, hosting a regional? I don't think they're really good. You know, Troy's at number – I'm looking at the Warren Nolan RPI, and they're 47th, and Florida International's 32. I don't think that's going to be good enough, especially where you've got – you know, we've already talked about Stetson. I think he's got probably a stronger case. We talked about Stetson's eight and five against the top fifty. FIU's five and ten. So I okay. think that's a that's probably going to be the deciding factor. But uh, as far as how they've gotten hot, you know, I think that coming into the year, you and I debated Florida International as, as a potential preseason top twenty-five team. I mean, I think we both really like their talent. Uh, they were in a regional last year. They had, I think, that all nine starters back are, are very close to it, and and most of those guys have, have started to hit. You know, I mean. Uh, Bermudez and Whittles and Patton and Bahar and Barroso, all these veteran guys that were there last year, uh, they've all come on pretty well, you know, and uh, it's, I think it's a, it's a good offense and I think it's a solid pitching staff. Um, you know, Phil Haig coming in, the transfer from Illinois, uh, has given them a, a, a nice piece at the top of that rotation. He's been a nice competitive veteran guy who's been around the block. You know, he beat LSU a couple of years ago at Illinois, if you recall. Yep. Um, you know, and, and behind him, I mean, they've got uh, R.J. Fondone, who's 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 been just a, a quality weekend guy again. I mean, it's it's they've been very consistent, and and you know, it took them a little while to to find that, and part of that was they were on the road uh, for, for something like a 19 game and, and 26 game stretch, something like that. It, it was uh, the most they'd been on the road in a long time, and and um, you know they weathered it okay. They, they had a couple of wins out there. They beat A and M one out of three, and um, but you know that that I think was one of the reasons it took them some time to get into a groove is they were traveling a lot and um, and now they have you know they they've really got it going. Yeah, and really since that Troy series, they only have one loss, which was uh, Louisiana Lafayette, uh, the Friday game of that series, and they have won every game since then except for uh, this Sunday tie with Arkansas State. So even though overall body of work, you can definitely make some cases for Troy or for some other teams that have come into the rankings. Uh, we went with a hot hand, which was Florida International, and. Uh, you know, kudos, I think, to the Golden Panthers. I just think is also, uh, you know, there. I think that uh, Turtle Thomas, if you're in college baseball, you either love him or you hate him. Uh, you know, we're we're media, so we're neutral. <laughs> but uh, you have to respect Turtle Thomas. And I think a lot of assistant coaches out there, a lot of longtime assistant coaches, are smiling at the success that Turtle Thomas is having as a head coach at FIU. He was an assistant coach for a long time. Clemson, Miami. LSU, Arizona State, got the Florida International job, um, and kind of like a Wayne Graham as far as a guy who'd been around a amateur baseball with a lot of success for a long time, didn't get a head coaching job until he's in his 50s, 
And uh, while it's hard for me to respect a grown man named Turtle, uh, Turtle Thomas has had a great run there already at Florida International. And uh, I think there are a lot of people in college baseball who are happy to see it because they know how hard he works. Uh, They know how hard he worked as an assistant coach. They know how hard he pounded it uh, uh, on the recruiting trail as an assistant coach for a long time. And, uh, you know, it didn't end well for him at Miami. And uh, but he's won national championships at Miami at LSU. Um, pretty, pretty long and storied career for Turtle Thomas. So uh, I think there's a lot of people who are happy for the success that he's had at FIU. Uh, Fitzy, let's uh, touch real quick on the Pac-10. Oregon State holds steady at number two in our rankings. I just think, you know, it seems like Oregon State's getting hot at the right time as far as uh, getting healthy at the right time, I should say. You wrote about it. Was that this week or was it last week? We were about Jason Duke, their freshman. Adam, Adam, Duke. Adam Duke. I'm sorry. Adam Duke, their, help, their freshman who's healthy. Andrew Susack, their junior catcher, actually caught this weekend. He's coming back very quickly, kind of Jackie Bradley style from his uh, Hammett injury. Yeah. Uh, Oregon State looks like they're, they're not just they're, – they're pretty sure to host it looks like and maybe be a top eight national seed even though their RPI yeah. is not that gaudy. Yeah, their RPI took a hit this weekend. They actually dropped down to number 18. They had been – Oh, up around the top 10. Uh, I think losing that one game at Washington, I guess, hurt on Washington's 193 in the RPI. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, I mean, I, I just think their body of work is so strong. They've got to be a top eight seed. If, if they win the Pac-10 and go all year without losing a weekend series, and, and they've got USC coming up at home this weekend, followed by at Oregon, is both very winnable series. Uh how could they not be national seed? I mean, uh, you know, they, they they swept Arizona State. They beat every other team in the league. I mean, I don't care what the RPI says. They've got to be a top eight seed at this point. I agree. They'll probably be like the seventh or eighth seed, you know, yeah. because of their RPI. But I agree. To me, you win the Pac-10, you should be a top eight national seed um, in most years. Arizona State, kind of a judgment day for them today. They lost a weekend series there. You saw them this weekend against uh, Southern Cal. And then uh, today, I believe, is the day, Aaron, that uh, the uh, big uh, uh, NCAA, that's the word I'm looking for, will rule on whether or not the uh, Arizona no. State has to uh, – is that today where they rule whether or not they uh... – No. Okay. No, they're, they're, the hearing is today. Okay. Uh, nobody knows when the ruling will be. That's the big issue is because it, if they don't rule before Selection Day – uh, then Arizona State will be able to play in this postseason, but uh, big difference. Otherwise, versus yeah, you're right. Yeah, big difference. And, and you know, if they don't rule before Selection Day, they can play this postseason. If they, the appeal is later denied, then they'll have to sit out the 2012 postseason. So I, I think we we we've talked about this during the year. We think that's what's going to happen. We think they're going to sit out 2012, not 2011. Correct. Right, but it's idle speculation. I mean, nobody, you know, I tried to get a feel for that this weekend, asking around a little bit, and nobody knows. Okay. Uh, it's, you know, it's just one of those things that the NCAA has a history of dragging its feet, but, but we're convenient. You know, we've seen them rule quickly. So I guess it depends how strongly they feel about this. Uh, I, I guess the other thing uh, that stuck out to me out of the Pac-10 this weekend was the loss by Stanford at Oregon, uh, losing two out of three in that series. Stanford is kind of plodding along in the league at 10 and 11, Arizona's 10 and 10. Those two teams play next weekend. Is that a series? And the, the Pac-10 has no conference tournament, so they have two more weekends of regular season play. Is that a weekend where uh, you know, a loser of that series is really on the bubble? Or, or are both those teams, do you think, still kind of safely in the discussion? I think they're probably both still in good shape. But, you know, I mean, a week ago I was thinking Stanford was a dark horse to host because they were in the top 20 in the RPI and they had played a lot of 
you know, quality games. Obviously, we know how strong their, their non-conference schedule was. But uh, you go to lose to Oregon, and now, yeah, maybe you're sliding a little bit. Um, you know, they, they've been very up and down all year long. And, and we knew that they were young. Um, we thought maybe they would have some ups and downs. Or they could put it all together, you know, kind of a year early, like we talked about in the past with teams like Virginia doing a couple of years ago, and they went to Omaha kind of a year early than you would have expected. But uh, that hasn't really been the case for Stanford. They've, you know, they've they've had growing pains, and uh, that you're right. That's an important series next week against Arizona. Both those teams are about 28 and 30 uh, in the RPI. Um, it's not slam dunk range. I mean. I mean, you have to imagine they'll, they'll kind of both stay in that general area next week. And, and uh, for Stanford, it, you know, it doesn't get easier. I think they've got Cal the week after that. Uh, Correct. Uh, whereas Arizona, whereas Arizona's got Washington, so you know, that's going to probably hurt their RPI. But at least there should be two or three wins there. Um, but uh, ultimately, I think both those teams wind up getting in. And you've got uh, the West Coast Conference it doesn't really have a. You know, I don't think Gonzaga is going to host the WAC. You've got a shot of. Um, Fresno hosting. I don't know. Is there any chance of Hawaii hosting? Like, would they send teams? I can't imagine they're going to send teams to Hawaii. Are are they? No, and they and they don't have the resume either. I mean, I think they're just a bubble team to even get in. I'm just, I'm just trying to think. Is there, you've you've tweeted about it <clears throat> at Aaron Fit? Uh, by the way, over four thousand followers. Very excited for you, Aaron. Congratulations. Well, thank uh, you. I'm like a thousand followers behind you now, which is outrageous. But whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think you tweet more than me. But Aaron, uh. Uh, is is the West going to be two? Is it going to be two hosts? Uh, basically, well, three, I guess. Arizona State, uh, Fullerton, maybe a third. Is there is there a chance? Or Oregon three? State, of course. Oh, uh, there are three. So is there a chance of four? I, you know, I, I think I think Fresno's got a chance, but I don't think it's necessarily a great chance. I mean, they the fact is that they've only played four games against the top fifty, and they're they're four zero, but um, that hurts them. I mean, I think that hurts them when you, you compare those with, with other teams out there. And I think that's, that's one of those deals where, um, you know, the, the RPI hurts those Western teams because, as we all know, I mean, I, the RPI is great for comparing teams within their regions, but it's not so great for comparing teams from the West with teams in the Southeast because it's just, you know, it's apples and oranges. Um, but that said, I mean, you know, Fresno also, they, they scheduled well, and a lot of teams that they thought were going to be good have proven to be just a Okay, and and even even a series like San Francisco, they took two out of three from San Francisco. San Francisco's winning the West Coast Conference or leading it, um, but they're number one twelve in the RPI. You know, so that doesn't really help them that much. I don't know. I mean, Fresno's still number twenty. You know, if if they can win their league, yeah, they got a chance to host. But uh, I, I think I think three hosts in the West is more likely, assuming Arizona State gets to play. It's the Baseball America podcast with John Manuel and Aaron Fitt. Aaron, let's let's kind of go back to the uh, the mid-major tip. And we had a, a podcast question, podcast at baseballamerica.com is the email address that I missed on last week's podcast. In fact, I think I missed it from the last two weeks, so I apologize for that. But Peter Torres emails, actually it's PJ Torres. He wants to say, why don't you guys give some credit, some respect to uh, Austin P, which was leading the uh, Ohio Valley Conference Despite having one of the younger team in the country, it was picked preseason eighth and is leading the conference. And he wrote that two weeks ago, Aaron, and Austin P State still winning the Ohio Valley Conference. Um, and it looks like Austin P, uh, I guess, you know, 15 and 5 in the league. Uh, does Austin P they have clinched, They clinched the regular season title this weekend. Clinched the regular season title already ahead of, I think, the preseason favorite might have been Jacksonville State. 
over there? I think so. I think so. Uh, what's Austin P. State done, Aaron, to uh, get in this discussion of, uh, you know, winning, of winning the regular season in the conference? And I assume they're not an at-large uh, team here. They're going to have to win the conference tournament to get in, right? That's right. Yeah, they're, they're, I don't think their RPI is in the at-large range. But, uh, you know, as it would happen, Happen. I, I spoke with Gary McClure last night, their their head coach, and uh, I'm going to have a piece on them in three strikes today. But uh, you know, I, I think it's it's a it's it's a really solid team overall. I look at their their team, and I think they're pretty talented. And, I, and there's not a lot of holes. Uh, you know, they actually have some power arms in the weekends. I mean, Jeremy Dobbs is a guy who can run it up there to uh, 92 or 93 at times. Uh, he's, he's his slider and his changeup have come a long way. I mean, he, he's had. A, a nice year for them in the rotation. And then Zach, Tony, the, the left-hander, junior college transfer. Uh, he's kind of an 88-91 guy, maybe touching 92. Got a good splitter and a slider. I mean, both those guys are pretty good pro arms that I think are going to be drafted uh, fairly well. And, and and Jack Snodgrass, their third starter, is a, a kind of a high 80s competitor with a really good changeup and, and a good two-seamer. So, I mean, you know, those those are that's a that's a strong, I think, weekend rotation for that league especially. Uh, and then, you know, you talk about all the – young players in their lineup. I mean, Jordan Hankins is the first guy you have to mention. Their freshman second baseman leading the team in hitting um, had a real impact for them. They've got speed in the outfield. Uh, they've got a guy named uh, Blanchard who's who's a, a true 80 runner, according to Coach McClure. He said he's run 6-2-60s multiple times, um, so he can fly. He hit second for him. Then they've got another freshman named uh, Gautier. Uh, Gautier, I'm sorry, that's how you say it. Who, uh, Orlando Gautier, he's, he's he's an impact guy. I mean, a guy that a lot of people wanted, I guess. Uh, and, you know, he's, he can really square balls up and he can throw out there in right field and he's a good player. So uh, it's it's a solid core. You know, Greg Bachman is another guy that they like. He's maybe their best overall hitter. Um, they've got a good shortstop, a good closer. I mean, they've got some power at first base with John Hogan. There's not a lot of holes. I I think it's a team that could actually surprise some people in regionals if they can win their conference tournament. That's interesting. Uh, and also Austin P noted, of course, for having the best cheer in college yeah. baseball and in college sports. Let's go P. Um, That's right. Hard to, hard to beat that. Um, uh, I believe a uh, cheer that originated back in the 70s with Fly Williams, their uh, shooting guard, who wound up being kind of an ABA legend, uh, which is that's, – that's, that's what I know best about Austin P. But also, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Austin P's also gotten some uh, some big leaguers uh, like a Sean Kelly, isn't he? The the Mariners right-hander out of uh, Austin P. Yeah, that's right. That's correct. I mean, Twelve, had... He's a 12th round pick who uh, who uh, he beat Vanderbilt that year in 2007 when they were. Uh, um, I think he did. I think he did in the regional. I feel like he beat uh, he beat Vanderbilt. I could be wrong about that, but that's that's what I seem to remember. I just know that uh, he shot to the major leagues pretty quickly. Um, and he was like, you know, a 13th round pick in 2007. And they've had some, you know, they've had some nice players come out of that, uh, come out of there. George Sherrill is a big leaguer, uh, out of Austin P as well, uh, and went the indie ball route. So, so thanks to PJ for the, uh, for the Austin P question. Aaron, you've written about it in our stock report every week, uh, every Wednesday at baseballamerica.com about the other leagues that do have a shot at at large bids. Um, you know, UConn, uh, you know, uh, the big East, UConn uh, clinched the Big East pretty early, just like Austin P clinched, uh, you know, uh, clinched the Ohio Valley. I don't know that we've talked about UConn on the podcast recently. I know you get a lot of questions about them in the chat. UConn was in the top ten in the preseason. Uh, they got off to a rough start. You saw them early on the West Coast, and were, you were impressed. But they couldn't. They just didn't seem like they won enough of those games early. Elliot Glenn, their veteran left-hander, 
Uh, their Friday started really off to a terrible start. Uh, now they're playing without Nick Ahmed, their shortstop. And yet the Huskies, just, they've dominated the Big East at 20-4. and four. Uh, They're going to finish the year on the road uh, with you know, a couple of midweek games and at Cincinnati. Does UConn have a chance to host for a second straight season, maybe as a second seed or even as a third seed? And how dangerous do you think UConn is in the postseason as far as uh, now they have some regional experience from last year uh, with Matt Barnes and George Springer? Uh, how bullish are you on the on the Huskies at this point in the season? I'm still pretty bullish. I mean, I think they're very talented, and I think they're they're tough mentally, um, as you have to be. You know, when you, when you keep on winning despite injuries, I mean, you talked about Elliot Glenn and Nick Ahmed being out. They just plug a couple of freshmen in, Tom Verdi at shortstop, done a nice job for him. And then uh, another freshman, Brian Ward, the left-hander on Sundays, guy that I saw against UC Irvine earlier in the year. And uh, look, you know, he was just okay then, but it uh, seemed like he's gotten a lot better as the year has progressed. So, you know, credit to him and credit to UConn. Um, they do a good job developing talent over there, and players get better. Um, you know, and I think they're I think they're dangerous, and it's not just because of the the big name pro caliber guys. Everyone knows, you know, we like uh, we like pro talent at Baseball America, but that's not why I love UConn. I, I think that they're uh, I think they're a good balanced deep team. I mean, they've got a lot of speed in the lineup. You know, we've talked about Mazzilli and Andreoli and and Billy Ferreter. I mean, those guys can really run, uh, and that's a nice dimension to have, uh, especially with these new bats when you've got a manufacturer offense. You know, they've got power in the middle with Springer and, and of course, and, and Mike Nemeth, the, the great senior first baseman who maybe gets overlooked a little bit sometimes. Um, they, they've got veterans on the mound. I mean, besides Barnes, it's uh, it's Greg Napo and you know Bobby Van Wart and Kevin Vance and all these guys who've been around. Uh, Scott Oberg. I mean, they, you know, they, they've got experience uh, all over the place. So I, I think they're really dangerous in regionals. I I don't think they're going to host. I, I still think the RPI is probably lacking in that department uh, in the 40s right now. Um, you know, even last year when they were hosted as a two seed, I think their RPI was probably in the 20s, if I recall. Um, I, I don't see a team in the 40s getting a host. You never know, but to me, I think it's a long shot. And correct me if I'm wrong. They also, uh, you know, last year they hosted it was in Norwich, was it not? Norwich, yeah, Connecticut. That's right. That's they right. played. They played Louisville at Norwich on Friday. They had a, you know a thousand people come out for that game, uh, which is good. It's not great. Their attendance last year, I, I seem to recall the reports. On their regional, were positive. Um, would not shock me. I, I would say if they hosted uh, another regional this year, I don't. I don't expect them to, but it really wouldn't shock me, especially if they took care of business against Cincinnati this weekend, um, and, and and were also to win the the Big East tournament. Anyone else from the Big East, though, Aaron, got a chance at, at an at-large bid. It looks like the rest of the conference has just backed up enough that St. John's or Pitt yeah. are those at-large teams at all. No, no. I mean, St. John's, I thought they had a chance a few weeks ago, and then they went out and uh, got swept by South Florida, which I thought hurt them. I mean, they're they're one in six against the top 50. Their RPI is actually decent. I mean, they're, they're inside the top 50 in the RPI right now, but I don't think they've got an at-large resume at this point. I mean, maybe they, they get hot, but I think it's more likely St. John's, you know, they, I could see them getting hot and running through the Big East tournament like they did last year, uh, but uh, probably not an at-large team. They seem like they're the best bet for an at-large bid uh, yes. outside outside of those teams. It's the college podcast with John Manuel and Aaron Fit. Aaron is obviously the expert. John is the one just talking. Um, Aaron, to continue just talking, let's talk really quick about the ACC and then wrap up. Virginia kind of holds serve. Danny Holton, though, loses his second start. Uh, they, they won the series against Miami, but uh, 
it's a good win for the Hurricanes just to win one game against uh, UVA. Uh, the Cavaliers have only lost six times all year. Florida State, though, I think is the other team that just – I mean, Mike Martin, dad gummit, uh, <laughs> this guy. I don't know who you could compare him to, like, in professional sports. I mean, like, to be that good and not have won a national championship. It's like he's Bobby Cox, so that team is just like Groundhog Day. Every year they're like – it seems like at this point every year they're 39 and 13. You know, yeah. I mean, and every year they're the top of the division, or they win their division in the, uh, or they're second in the division in the ACC. Um, I, I just, it just, it seems inexplicable though that they're number four in our in our rankings. I just don't think they're that spectacular. But uh, man, Florida State just keeps getting it done. And I guess the really big series in the ACC this weekend was North Carolina at Georgia Tech, and when North Carolina beats Mark Pope on Friday night. Then chases Jed Bradley on Saturday, but blows that game late, and then gets shut out on Sunday. Just how crucial is that? Does that does North Carolina uh, fall out of the hosting conversation unless they, you know, beat Virginia this weekend? Uh, and what does that do for Georgia Tech's uh, season? How much does that make you believe a little bit more in the, in the Yellow Jackets? Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot. There's a lot to comment on in that in that uh, that little that setup. That's set up, but uh, I mean, Florida State. First of all, can I go back to them for a second? Please, I, mean, I, I agree. Do. I, I agree that they're. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing what they, that they're able to do every year. I mean, the fact that they're just so consistent it doesn't really matter what the pieces are. I mean, last year their their pitching was just okay, and this year really their pitching is just okay after Sean Gil Martin. Uh, for them to do what they've done with really one dependable starting pitcher for most of the season is unbelievable. Um, you know now they've got Mike McGee as a starter, and and I, and I like Mike McGee, and I think that's a, the right move to move him into the rotation. Uh, he wasn't great this weekend, and he was yeah, just he okay. Yeah, he was not. You're right. Um, and and you know they, they've they've <laughs> they've had a revolving door in the weekend rotation. I mean, I think Hunter Scantling uh, is good enough to be the guy, but he hasn't very pitched very well that lately. I mean, down the stretch, he struggled. Um, you know, I, their pitching is nothing special after. Sean Gilmartin, uh, but they just keep winning. You know, they just find ways to win. I, I like their offense. I mean, you look at their numbers; they don't blow you away, but um, they're very patient. They do all the things that Florida State does. Um, I just think they're 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 a well coached team that's uh, experienced. Um, I like their bats. You know, those guys like James Ramsey and Sherman Johnson, who hasn't had a great year either, uh, and Mike McGee. And you know, the, if they can get uh, Devin Travis healthy again, that'll be huge. I think he's out with a hamstring right now, and they had to kind of hurt their defense this weekend. They had to put their catcher Lopez at third base and right. um, and move Sherman Johnson over to second base, and they had some errors. But um, you know, once they get Travis back, that, that that'll be huge for them. But um, just amazing to me, Aaron, that this guy Mike Martin has coached there for 31 years. That's a long time. 74 yeah. percent winning career winning percentage coming into the year. And they're right about there again now. They're 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 right there, three out of four. I mean, you yeah. just that's them. They win three out of four games every freaking week, every freaking year. It's just amazing. And uh, the law of averages says that one of these days they're gonna <laughs> dad gum break that door down. I love the stat that the fact that they've they've never lost more than twenty three games under Mike Martin, except for nineteen eighty four when they also won fifty five games. I mean, you could wow, uh, you could play a billion games, but that that's his worst winning percentage. 655. That's his worst winning percentage. This guy's Jeez. this guy's a machine, and that that program is a machine program. And uh, you know, I just think it's too bad that some people can't get past the fact there's no national championship, and 
uh, you know, to me, that doesn't minimize Mike Martin one bit. I just think, uh, and now they've, they've developed another first round pick, potential first round pick in Gil Martin. Uh, I just think that level of consistency is outrageous and amazing and commendable. Uh, get back to the, to the Tech North Carolina yeah. series, though, uh, Aaron. How big was that? Is that the, 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 does North Carolina have to beat uh, Virginia in a weekend series? They're, they're in fourth place in their own division in the ACC, right. fifth, fifth best conference record in the league, but like the number three RPI. Does North Carolina yeah. just have to do okay against UVA, just win a game, and then do okay in the ACC tournament and they, and they host? Because geographically, they right. fit very well uh, as a host. Yeah, I think I think they're still in pretty good shape because, you know, like you said, they're number three in the RPI. I mean, we've seen teams inside the top ten get snubbed for hosting before. I mean, I think Georgia Tech a couple of years ago was number seven and and got sent to Georgia, if I recall, uh, maybe two thousand seven. But uh, uh, but number three is high, you know, and and they're they've got a, maybe the best record against the top 100 of anybody i think i mean they're 31 and 12 against the top 100 wow um yeah i mean that to me that really helps their case you know that's why i think that uh uh as long as they don't get swept by virginia i still think they'll probably host um and and, and if they take two out of three they could be back in the national seed discussion they really could i mean they're you know when you're that strong in the RPI I and mean, they were number 1 after they won Friday they were number 1 in the RPI um and then they just it's amazing to me how fast that thing fell apart you know you're up 8 to 4 in the ninth i think if they win that game i think they're almost a lock to be a national seed uh and then to give up a five spot and you know maybe they mix and match too much i mean you know that that you watch a UNC game it seems like Mike Fox is going out to the bullpen constantly um, maybe I mean I don't know I'm just throwing this out there it's it's worked for them they won 40 games this year but maybe sometimes you know it, it, it backfires you don't you don't get into a rhythm and, and they use four different pitchers in that ninth inning and they just didn't have any answers and Georgia Tech uh, stormed back with five runs and they just seemed shell-shocked they came back the next day and got shut out by a good pitcher Buck Farmer who can do that to you um, so you know, I, that was, was a, a stunning turn of events. I mean, I, I had actually was following that game on Game Tracker. I was at USC, and it was eight to four. And uh, I was about to tweet, you know, UNC looks like they're they're sewing up a, a national seed. Went down to the field, and I came back, and, and the whole world had changed just like that. You know, I mean, it, it's that was a big series because those two teams were, were neck and neck for a national seed, and um, you know, and there's not a huge bubble or a cushion between those teams and, and, and Clemson and Miami as the other hosting candidates in the ACC. So that was a really big series and, and a stunning turn of events on Saturday. It really was. I was listening to that game on the radio and uh, could not believe it. I think the bigger issue for North Carolina is just their starting pitching after Patrick Johnson, just as little uh, – it just not, it did not deliver for them this weekend. You know, Jed Bradley did not pitch well for Georgia Tech. He still gave them six innings. You know, Ken Emanuel and Chris Munley – did not get out of the fifth inning for North Carolina. I think if you're going to win a series on the road, no matter what your bullpen does, especially with these bats where you're probably not going to win 13-10 on Sunday anymore, you got to get more than, you know, eight and two-thirds innings combined out of your Saturday and Sunday starters. To me, that's actually the bigger issue for North Carolina. I love Kent Emanuel. Wouldn't shock me if a freshman started wearing down a little bit at the end of his first season. And Munley is a sophomore, you know, has bouts of wildness. That's why I think Georgia Tech, if I had to pick out of those two teams, even though they seemed very evenly matched this weekend, and you can make the argument that really the first two games, North Carolina completely outplayed Georgia Tech uh, for, you know, for 17 out of those 18 innings. I still give the edge to Tech because of Pope, Bradley, and then Farmer is a sophomore. Yes. 
He's been through this. Even though I think North Carolina's bullpen is a little bit deeper, maybe a shade. I don't even know if I say it's better than Georgia Tech's. Georgia Tech's bullpen's pretty good. Luke Bard uh, doing his good Daniel Bard impersonation. I think I give a slight edge to Georgia Tech, not just because they Me just too. won the series, but because I believe more. I trust their starting pitching more than I trust North Carolina's. Um, yeah. And, and I said the same thing going into this this series. Is that's why I gave Georgia Tech an, an edge. I mean, more than the fact that even that they were at home is I just like, like their I like them better on the mound at all all three spots. That's probably why I'm saying it because I probably am just parroting what you read or said. Uh, Clemson, Fitzy, the last ACC thing we'll touch on that we probably should wrap up the podcast. Finishes the season at Florida State. The Tigers are in fuego. Uh, they've won a series at uh, Virginia Tech this past weekend. Uh, their last previous ACC uh, series, one against Georgia Tech at home, Wake Forest, Boston College, Maryland. Once they got into the softer part of the schedule, they won those games. They've gotten some confidence going, it looks like. If they win this series against Florida State on the road, uh, you know, obviously we don't know what will happen in the conference tournament, but say they were to win that series on the road against Florida State with their RPI, does Clemson put itself in the regional hosting discussion? Or yeah, are they, or as the sixth, really, fifth or sixth ACC team, are they on the outside looking in? Right now, I, I think they're certainly in the discussion, but probably on the outside looking in as, as the fifth team in that league. Um, because, you know, they're, they're, they're number nine in the RPI, at least on Warren Nolan right now. I mean, that, that's very much in the hosting range. I think if they can win a road series at Florida State, all of a sudden they're probably on the right side of that bubble. I mean, but it depends on what other teams do. I mean, what if North Carolina wins that series against Virginia? Um, I mean, it, it, can Clemson pass Florida State in the pecking order? I, I don't think so. I mean, Florida State's you know sixteen and ten against the top fifty. Clemson's nine and eleven. I mean, Florida State. Uh, I think the body work is just playing better. You know, they, they have those three wins against Florida that we keep talking about, but uh, with good reason. I mean, Florida. You know, Florida is Florida number one in the RPI right now. They're they're darn close to it. Yes, they are number one. Um, so you know, I mean, it, I, I can't see Florida Clemson passing Florida State even if they win this series. Maybe if they sweep it. Maybe uh, those, teams, those two teams would be tied then in the, in the top of the ACC Atlantic, and you give Clemson the, the tiebreak advantage. Um, but I think they have to sweep it, you know, to, to have a chance to host over Florida State. And even you know, even if they do sweep it, maybe they both host, and and maybe end up with five hosts in the ACC, or, or maybe North Carolina winds up as the odd team out if they lose to Virginia. I mean, it's a, there's a lot of balls in the air still in the ACC, just as there is in the SEC, and. Uh, you know, and then we haven't talked about the Big 12. I mean, I feel like the Texas Texas A&M series coming up this weekend will determine maybe if one of those teams gets a national seed. Um, I think both those teams will probably host. And what about Oklahoma as a host? I mean, Oklahoma versus TCU versus Arkansas. You know, there's there's a lot of of things still undecided right now. It's pretty exciting. There is a lot. There's a ton undecided. I think Clemson's case is actually stronger than those teams, but from a geographical standpoint, uh, might be in trouble. You know, that, that. And it's and the other thing that hurts Clemson, besides just the record against the top 50 and top 100 versus North Carolina, they got swept by North Carolina. Right. I mean, oh yeah, no doubt. Oh, I'm saying I, I think I think measuring them against like say Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, which has lost what two of its last three conference yeah. series. Really, like Oklahoma State basically has a series win against Texas. They won a series against Oklahoma, but they're still just two and two against Oklahoma for the year. So it's basically a push. Um, but that that Big 12. Uh, what the Big 12 is is a big mush after Texas A&M and Texas, Aaron. And Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Kansas State, Texas Tech. Uh, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are are, are in. They're on the bu- bubble for being a, a, a regional host. 
but Baylor and Texas Tech and Kansas State all in that 64 team bubble. And recent history would say uh, those teams are in because the Big 12 has gotten some teams in with good RPIs or respectable RPIs and bad records, and it hasn't mattered. They've gotten in. Yeah, you're right, and that's why I think Baylor will be in. I think Baylor did what it needed to do this weekend, winning a series against Oklahoma State, uh, a series that I think probably crushed Oklahoma State's hosting chances. I can't see them now hosting over TCU, which has a similar RPI and won the head-to-head series, um, or Oklahoma, which is 11 spots higher on the RPI and is 2-2 two and two against Oklahoma State in the year. Um, you know, and, and then Go ahead. I'm sorry. And then Rice is the other team that's in the mix too. That's I mean, especially right. if they, especially if they come back and win Conference USA, that's another team in that general geographic region that you got to contend with. So I, I'm, I'm, remo- I'm removing Oklahoma State from the hosting bubble. I think they're now off the bubble. I don't think they're a hosting candidate. Um, but uh, I think Texas Tech and Baylor probably both wind up getting in. Um, Texas Tech is is very much on the bubble, 44 in the RPI, 10 and 14 in the league, and um, and they've got Oklahoma State coming up this weekend. But I think if they can avoid getting swept, they probably will find a way in. Kansas State, I think, is done. I mean, after playing New Orleans this weekend, they're down to 55 in the RPI. They're 9 and 14 in the league. You know, they're sitting in uh, ninth place in the league. So I, I I think they're probably in trouble. And then Commerce USA, you touched on it. Southern Miss and Rice look like they're in good shape to be uh, in the tournament at Laurel. They're both in the, they're both in the 64 team field. We think, I think they yeah. both have a good shot to host. Um, like you said, East Carolina in, but not necessarily rip roaring away uh, playing Delaware state. I'm sure this weekend did not help their RPI. Um, UCF is the team. I, it looks like did the most for itself uh, yeah. sweeping UAB this weekend. It looks like the Blazers are going to be on the wrong side. They're on the outside looking in. Tulane also took care of business, Aaron. They won that series at Marshall this weekend by the skin of their teeth, but they won the series on the road. Uh, They've won their last three series in conference play. Tulane's on the bubble. Is Tulane in or out if the tournament started right now, Fitzy? And, of course, they go to East Carolina. They're out right now? Okay. They're out. I mean, they're 61 in the RPI, and the committee just playing has a history of, of, you know, if you're not in the the – 40s, oh, you're yeah. you're in trouble. If you're in the 50s, you've got a very outside chance. They've they've very rarely, I think, even take a team in the 50s. Um, you know, I I feel like I lobby for a team in the 50s to get in every year, and and I'm always disappointed. But um, Tulane at 61, that's not going to do it. They 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 need to find a way to boost that thing. They've got East Carolina coming up this weekend. If they if they can take care of business, they probably need to sweep that series. But if they can at least take two out of three and then do some work in the conference tournament, maybe they got a chance. But uh, I think they're on the wrong side of the bubble right now. I think so too, but uh, kudos to Central Florida for getting on the right side of that bubble. They were they were probably on the right side of the bubble anyway, but a uh, pretty resounding way to get yourself off that bubble by sweeping uh, UAB, which has uh, you know, got good pitching, and uh, I think Dylan Napoleon's been a little banged up lately and has not been pitching for uh, for UAB. Did he pitch this weekend, do you know, Fitzy? You know, I'm not sure. But uh, that's, that's, a good, uh, that's a good road series win. And a couple of those wins were pretty emphatic for UCF. So um, Napoleon did pitch, didn't make out of the fourth inning, uh, you know, this weekend for, for so they went at I don't know about full strength UAB, but they went in there and beat UAB's best guys. So uh, with that weird game on Saturday where they scored nine in the tenth, so uh, <laughs> very very strange game uh, on Saturday. But uh, I, th- I think UCF did the most. They're, they're probably the team, the bubble team, that did the most to help itself uh, the entire weekend in the whole country. Uh, I agree. I think it's a great, it's a great point. You know, I mean, I, 
I had them bubble in last week. I right. thought that, uh, um, but but you know it wasn't by much. I mean they were they were down near the bottom of that league. I think they were in eighth place in the league last week, and now they're up to fifth, and they're ten and eleven. That's much more respectable. They're they're around number twenty in the RPI. They're 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 in good shape. Much more of a safe in. Before we wrap yeah. up the podcast, Aaron, I actually had one more podcast question on our Facebook page. I want to remind people we've got uh, like 8,800 likes on Facebook. So if you don't already like the uh, the, the magazine on uh, on Facebook, what are you waiting for? Come on, help us out, help a brother out, and put us uh, put us to 10,000. Uh, Todd Barnett asks, "A lots of lots of big prospects on display this weekend in Nashville. As far as draft stock, did anyone move in either direction? Maybe Moore gives up his first and second and third extra base hits of the season in, in heartbreaking fashion. Does that hurt him in come June?" Aaron Westlake had a had a rough uh, weekend, only two hits. This his inability to adjust to off speed hurt him in the eye of scouts. Uh, Fitz, we already talked about Navery Moore. I don't think Aaron Westlake was hurt necessarily this weekend, because um, I think the thing with Aaron Westlake is if you, uh, it's one weekend, a and you know you are going to believe in the bat, and he's got uh, double digit home runs, and there's just not a lot of guys in the SEC who have double digit home runs, and he's one of them. So I think it's hard to find college power. And this year's draft, I don't think he's hurt by it. And I also wanted to throw you out, speaking of that series, I meant to mention this earlier. Aaron, I'm going to throw you a dark horse for SEC Pitcher of the Year. How about Grayson Garvin? He's yeah, the only pitcher in the sure. league who's 9-0. and He's 9-0 yeah, in conference play. Absolutely. To me, I mean, right now it comes down to Michael Roth, DJ Baxendale, and, and Grayson Garvin. To me, those are the three favorites. Uh, with you know, Outside that, you probably got Hudson Randall and Sonny Gray kind of you know, in the discussion, I mean, I'm, I'm probably forgetting somebody and I'm going to get 800 emails from SEC fans, but, um, those are the guys to me that jump out. And, and right now I, I'd say Baxendale and Roth are, are my two favorites, but, but great Garvin's right there with them. I mean, he's been outstanding. Yeah. I think I'm, I would think I would go with Grayson Garvin. Uh, maybe it's uh, yeah. too easy to do on, uh, on Saturdays. Maybe that's easier, but to me, uh, there's no easy starts on the SEC and you go through and you win them all. Uh, you go nine and zero with an ERA around 150. Uh, that'd be, yeah. That would be my guy, you know. That'd be my guy. So uh, kudos to Grayson Garvin and uh, and great questions today in the podcast. So, again, podcast at BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, you can follow Aaron on Twitter and ask him, at Aaron Fit. You can do the same with me, at John Manuel BA. Uh, Aaron, you also can follow us uh, on our weekly uh, – well, obviously we have the podcast, but now we have a weekly show on Sirius XM. And if you missed it last night, we had uh, Augie Garrido, the coach from Texas, who compared Taylor Youngman to Jared Weaver, which was a great comp, uh, one I had not thought of. I like that comp quite a bit. Um, uh, so Augie was great. We talked about his book last night. We talked a little bit about this year's Longhorns and kind of about his passion for the game, uh, very evident in the DVD uh, documentary that's coming out about Augie that uh, went viral last week. Uh, he said he's not. he's gone from fear-based to passion-based uh, kind of coaching, but I'd say there was some fear – and the eyes of his players as they watched <laughs> Augie. Uh, it was not uh, safe for uh, radio uh, uh, tirade from Augie, which uh, I enjoyed quite a bit. Um, I will not be using that on my T-ball team, though. Uh, that will not happen. <laughs> but uh, but uh, Texas Texas A&M this weekend going to be the series of the year, it looks like, in the Big 12. So uh, we'll talk about that one and a whole lot else on next week's podcast. Aaron, are you uh, headed any games this weekend? Where are you headed this weekend? I'm headed somewhere, but I'll be darned if I can remember where, John. It's uh, it's that time of year. My brain is scrambled. <laughs> and you checked out now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was it the first junior college game you've ever been to this weekend? Hmm. I wonder. It's possible. That's possible. Yeah, I went to see Kylan Turnbull over there. The uh, uh, California Junior College uh, playoffs, and uh, he was okay. He was a little not 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 quite what I was expecting. 
Um, didn't have his best stuff. Got hit around a little bit, but uh, um, so the, yeah, there you go. I, I'm wondering, like, I, I think I've only seen one one game uh, ever. One one. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I've seen one junior college game in my entire baseball America career because it's just not a it's not a, 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 a something that we accentuate or emphasize here at BA. But um, you know, the quality of play was a little bit surprising to me. It wasn't as good as I thought it would be when I watched junior college baseball. Was that your impression? Yeah, you know, it was. That, that's a pretty good way to put it. I mean, it's, it's a clear step behind uh, Division One, and that's why you've always got guys that, that have to, uh, uh, um, you know, there's an adjustment period for a lot of players coming from junior college, and a lot of times you'll see guys make an impact in their second year in D- D1. It may, a lot of times it takes players a year to adjust. That's, uh, that's not uncommon. Well, you've got uh, Gonzaga at Pepperdine coming up this weekend. That's a big one for you. You could, uh, I suppose you could try to venture up to Fresno and see Cal State Bakersfield, which has fallen off that bubble uh, at Fresno State. Uh, that might be interesting, but uh, the, the, the Roadrunners uh, have backed off the bubble, uh, which is a shame. But I'm not sure. I'm not, yeah. You don't have a lot. You don't have a lot of things going on in Southern California this weekend. You might have to no, venture out. I'm going to go see Cal. That's who I'm going to see there at UCLA. That that's the weekend I've got circled. There you go. All right. Well, we'll talk Cal UCLA. We'll talk uh, the last weekend of the regular season for all the conferences that have tournaments, and we'll again talk about stock up, stock down, and all that kind of stuff on next week's college podcast. So until Monday, until next Monday, for Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 